Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of the Overline Sports Basketball Podcast. Uh, that would be the OTL layup line. I'm joined, as always, happily by my co-host, Nolan Russell. Nolan, how's it going? Uh, I mean, not thrilled about COVID just kind of decimating everything in the sports world right now. But aside from that, I'm doing pretty well. Just finished semester of school, so it's nice to have a, a break and get back into the podcast a little bit more hopefully these next couple weeks yeah for sure as uh as nolan just alluded to we've been very busy over the uh process of this semester we weren't able to stay up to date as well as as much as we definitely wanted to but we're going to kick it into high gear following this much needed christmas break especially for sleep but we're going to jump right in we were actually going to hopefully reference our very first episode which was actually released just before the season started and that was our ranker video that was our tier list of where all 30 nba teams fit into certain subcategories and where we feel as if they may have moved from this point I'll give a quick rundown for our viewers at home, just of maybe just some of the highlights of our tier list and then what the you can run through what the standings are looking like right now. And we can kind of tr- contrast. But our three favorites going into the season were the Lakers, Bucks, and Nets. Our contenders were the Suns, the Warriors, the Jazz, the Nuggets, and the Heat. Playoff teams or tentative playoff teams. We were looking at the Hawks, the Bulls, the Mavericks, 76ers, Grizzlies, Celtics, Knicks, and the Trailblazers. Our playing contenders, Clippers, Pacers, Hornets, Timberwolves, Wizards, Raptors, Pelicans, Kings, Cavs, Spurs, and Rockets. And then our better luck next year was only three teams, and that was the Thunder, Pistons, and Magic. So very, I would say... Somewhat unequally spread. It was very middle heavy between our middle two tiers, but we were talking about it before we started recording. I mean, aside from a few teams that are very surprising right now, we we kind of, we predicted these pretty well. Yeah, I would agree. I think if you want to, we can kind of slide some teams around now that, now that we're about a quarter of the way through the season. But I think for the most part, we've kind of done, we did a decent job. Yeah, I think we definitely did. In terms of uh, in terms of the Eastern Conference outlook, I mean, the Nets are atop, much like our favorites were. And then you bounce over the Western Conference, it's a tad different. Our favorite Lakers are all the way down at seven. And similar in the Eastern Conference, the Bucks are down at five. The biggest surprising that just jumps out at me, and I mean, we were just, they were really the only team that we talked about before we started recording, but was the Cavs. Cavs are sitting at third in the East. Very impressive, 19 and 12. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the Bucks and Lakers, I think the Lakers to me have always been like looking at this roster. This is a team that's meant to be like contending in the playoffs rather than the regular season. I mean, we've seen a bunch of injuries with this team already, and I think they're kind of taking a little easy in the regular season. But I would say I'm definitely lower on them now than I was at the start of the season. I still view them as a, a potential favorite, but I think the Suns and Warriors for me have both leapfrogged the Lakers as, you know, teams that I would be backing in the playoffs probably at this point over the Lakers. As for the Bucks, like, yeah, you mentioned they're fifth in the East, but I mean, they've had so many injury problems and everything yeah. this season. They're 13 and two when Giannis, Holiday, and Middleton play, which I think is pretty indicative of how good this team still is. So I feel pretty confident having them as, I think they're the front runner, honestly, at this point. That's, that's the team I would be banking on as the probable, at least Eastern Conference favorites between them and the Nets. But I think to me, they're probably the team I would pick as the NBA winners at this point. If I had to bet, on a team, the Bucks would probably be the team I'd, I'd back. I mean, it's hard it's hard not to say anyone but the Bucks. I mean, as you said, such a great complimentary roster and great pieces around a guy like Giannis, a franchise piece. I mean, back to back MVP winner, having another great season as as to be as to be expected. Um, is there anyone right now that jumps out between our tier list and the current standings? I mean, I, I aforementioned the Cavs, uh, much like you had alluded to before we started recording. But is there anyone that you really am like very adamant to move right now? I think Warriors and Suns should both be moved into favorites. I think Cavs should be moved into playoffs. I don't want to put them in contenders yet. I just don't think 
I don't know how good they're going to be come playoff time, but I, I really like their roster. I like the way they play, especially defensively. Having those three seven-footers on the court at the same time for good chunks of the game. And like even guys like Kevin Love often playing like kind of small forward minutes for them. Like they're just playing very big and it's kind of overwhelming teams. But I don't know how well that's going to translate against the better teams come playoff time where, you know, you're in a seven game series and the other team can kind of scheme against it a little bit. But I don't know. The Cavs are definitely a playoff team at this point for me. So I would I would move them into that category. Yeah, I I'm totally, totally for that. The only one that really jumps out at me, and I was looking at it a little bit before we started, I think we're a tad, in my humble opinion, I think we're a tad low on the Grizzlies. I don't know if it's enough to push them into contenders. Yep. Honestly, I'm, I'm cool with that. Do you yeah, I don't. Contenders? I, yeah, I was going to say either low-end contenders or at the top of playoffs because, I mean, they've shown, especially with all, all the COVID problems the league has been riddled with, I mean, especially the Grizz being one of the more afflicted teams with both injuries and COVID issues. I think they've been able to fight through it really well. Very well-coached team, very well-rounded roster, uh, especially when healthy and, I guess, non-COVID-afflicted. But they I have so much depth, too. I think that's that's a key for them. Like, so many guys that can go off at any game. I mean, that's that's the kind of team that you really don't want to play in the postseason, guys. You can come in and immediately make an impact and be subbed in on the fly and just basically pick up where the other guy left off. I mean, it's really hard. We've seen deep teams in the past make kind of low, low-seeded pushes, and I feel like by the end of the season, you're going to see the Grizz settle somewhere between four and six. And if I'm a team that's either near the middle or the top or even the bottom of the league, I really would not want to play the Grizzlies come playoff time if they're going to be playing fully healthy compared to the way that they're playing now, kind of riddled. How would you feel about bumping the Nuggets down to playoffs? Obviously, at the, the time that we did this, this was pre-Michael Porter Jr. injury. I think after that injury, they're just they're lacking so much. Like it's basically just Jokic and a bunch of role players now. It's it's so a lot of people when he got hurt. And it sucks that they equate injury to not be deserving of what he got because when he was offered and given his max, a lot of people said, oh, they locked him up young. He made They made a good decision. Then upon his injury, they're like, oh, this isn't going to pan out well. Like, why would you sign him to a max? And it's like, for a guy as young as he is and has many flashes that he showed in the season before he went down and now coming back this year, there were a lot of expectations on his shoulder. They were really expecting him, especially Jamal Murray's brief absence last year, to expect him to come in and be that solidified number two. And I feel like the amount that he contributed to the team this year, I mean, you're really, as you said, starting to see it with him being out. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to sliding them down to the playoffs. Now, are you looking for like a team swap or just like just slide them down? Well, I think if we are we moving Memphis up, I, I would like to move Memphis up. I'm cool with that. I do think I still find it a bit of a stretch to think that they would. I don't know. I don't see them winning the West really over a team like Phoenix or Golden State or Utah or even the Lakers. So yeah. I don't know. They almost feel like more of like top of playoffs to me. Like I, I, I don't know. Okay, how about, I think it's hard to imagine a scenario where they win the West. Yeah, they would have to have a lot of pieces fall, including not only getting their guys back, but also seeing slides and kind of intermittent mediocre play from other teams in order to make a move. I'm cool with maybe settling them between teams like maybe because, okay, this is what our playoffs lineup right now is looking like. Hawks, Bulls, Mavs, 76ers, Grizz, Celtics, Knicks, and Trailblazers. So if we're moving Nuggets down, I don't think they should slide anywhere past maybe the 76ers. And I don't think the Grizz should be above a team like the Hawks or the Bulls. So maybe Memphis as the third playoff team and the Nuggets somewhere between four and five. I would think to me, looking at this kind of tier, I think Bulls and Grizzlies are the two teams that stand out to me. They would be the top of this tier for me. Yeah. And then I think. And then what, Hawks three? Yeah. 
I guess so. I think the Hawks, they showed last year's playoffs that, you know, they can go on a run. Even though they haven't played great to start this season, I think there's a good reason to, to have them as the number three. Yeah, I, I do not disagree with that. Another team that I was looking at that it, it would take a lot for me to move a team out of the basement, but I would like to put a team actually into the basement. Sure. Uh, that would be the Houston Rockets. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, unfortunately, they have a lot of youth on that team, a lot of good young players who still are kind of awaiting development. I don't know. It's just it's really hard for me to look at a team that young and say that they really have a fair shake, especially in the Western Conference, which is extremely heavy with top tier contenders and talent. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really all that needs to be said. I'd probably slide them down. I saw they think they're at the top of better luck next year. I don't think they're as basement as the other three teams that we have there. I just don't think that there's enough there for me to justify keeping them in the playing contenders tier. Yeah, I mean, they did recently go on that seven-game win streak with wins over, you know, the Nets and the Bulls and the, the Hornets. They had some good wins, but then they kind of backed that up by going on a bit of a weak streak recently. So, I mean, they obviously had a horrible start to the season. They're currently, what, 10-21, and 21, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's hard to imagine them really yeah, getting back into the playoff mix. But then again, like uh, right now, the West 10 seed is 13-19, and 19, right? And yeah. obviously the, the top 10 teams get into that play. And so they're only three games back of the 10 seed right now. So I don't think it's insane to think they could get in there. But yeah, I agree. I think they're probably top of the better luck next year category, but I don't think they can really make a playoff push at this point. And again, we are, this is speaking very prematurely. Like we are only just over a quarter way through the year. I think there is still a lot of chips that are left to fall, but just looking at early trends, as you said, like when we were talking about the Grizzlies, we're looking at a team to basically best at least two teams in their same conference to really make them like a contender. And I think that's almost the same thing in terms of like the gap between a better luck next year and a play in contender. Because you look at the teams, if you look at the teams 10 through, let's say 13, are there any teams in the West between the Kings, the Trailblazers and the Spurs? Do you think that the Rockets could be in a play in? I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they could be like the Spurs. Yeah. That'd be the only team for or like maybe the, even the Kings. But like, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen for them. Yeah, it's just it's it's hard to make that kind of distinction and especially try to move a team up or down a tier. I do want to talk about for a second how decimated the league has been because of COVID. The first team that we really saw go down, at least the one that was hugely publicized with six or seven players in the Bulls were the first to go down almost immediately because I know they were the first team to really get reported that had a big chunk of players to get to get put on the COVID protocol list. Yeah, they, they were kind of the main one that was hit, but like a lot of teams have been hit by COVID, especially well, recently, especially my fantasy team. My God. Oh, my <laughs> my fantasy team is obliterated now. Yeah, same with me. It's basically a hospital at this point. Yeah, I think I have my IRs fully filled up. I think I have three guys in my starting roster that are on COVID, another one on the IR. So I'm, yeah, I'm basically a hospital bed team right now. It's just, it's so hard, especially trying to predict and make accurate statements about teams who we really don't know if there will be a full health soon for them. And I mean, even it sucks to look at a team like the Bulls who A, have so much promise and B, came out of the gate so hot and showed so much potential to now just have, I think it's six or seven guys on their roster who they started the season with now and the rest are just role players or reserves. I mean, that's mm -hmm. so, it's so hard to contend at that point and maintain your position in the, in the league's like rankings and standings. But I mean, again, it's the same problem for every team. Like, it's not like, it's not like we're just taking the bulls out as an individual team and saying, oh, boohoo, look how, look how down bad the bulls are because of how shitty a hand they were dealt. 
But in saying that, some teams are more afflicted with it than others. And then we have other teams who potentially could be bettered in this COVID situation, like the Nets tentatively saying Kyrie could come back on part-time. It's like, what does is, what is part-time basketball really look like? Yeah, I I guess it's it's weird because Kyrie wouldn't be able to play any home games, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's half the games right there that he can't play. And then on top of that, he can't play against the Raptors, can't play against the Knicks. He can't play against the Lakers, Warriors, Clippers, Kings. So at best, he's playing like maybe 40% of their games, if that. So it's kind of weird, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's just weird. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about the Kyrie situation anymore. No, I mean, we've heard, we've heard really every avenue of the discussion. I mean, again, the, the vaccination process, of course, like every individual is free to act act as they want get vaccinated do not get vaccinated but i don't know it is it is sad when you see a player well not sad it's just unfortunate when you see a player of the premier talent caliber that Kyrie is i mean he's one of the most entertaining players to watch and not having him on the court it does stink but i mean hopefully he he makes a decision soon and hopefully the team is able to come to a resolution with him hopefully get him back on the court soon i do want to talk about though something pretty interesting that i've seen recently is a lot of warriors players are alluding to the return of clay thompson and a lot sooner than some people expect if the Warriors were to get Clay back, I personally think that not only solidifies them as either the favorite or a favorite in the West, but I think that also makes them a serious finals contender, like possibly a Warriors Bucks or Warriors Nets matchup. Because I think that addition of Clay only does good for that roster. Well, yeah. I, I, like I, there's, yeah, pretty blanket I mean, statement. It's, it's hard to say how good Clay is going to be for them anymore, at least in terms of his all around game and his defense and stuff. But, you know, worst case scenario, he's a spot up shooter that can drill threes. Like, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good addition to the team. Even if he, he's not a hundred percent, if he can just shoot as good as he can, which is, you know, we're talking about Clay Thompson, arguably the second best shooter of all time. So even if he's not back to that all defensive form and he can't like drive to the net as well as he used to. And like, that was never really a strength of his game anyways. But worst case scenario, Clay is going to be a very effective role player for them. And this is a team that's already the second best record in the league. Yeah. I mean, it would only, as you just said, better, better a team that's already doing great right now. Kind of just to piggyback off that point, let's say Clay comes back. We'll, we'll ballpark it at 75%, returning to full health, full ability, whatever you want to call it. If you were Steve Kern attempting to somewhat, I wouldn't call it load management because that's got, that term's kind of gotten saturated and kind of thrown in the mud over the last few years. But if you were attempting to kind of ease him back in the starting lineup, would you be opposed to maybe playing him as a six-man? I, I wouldn't mind that, especially with how well they've been playing this year. I, they, they seem to want to keep starting Looney just to have that kind of big man presence in there, so... That basically means that it's either going to be Clay or Poole that gets moved to the bench. And I think Poole has been fantastic for them right now. So to start Clay off the bench, at least early on, is not a bad idea necessarily. Yeah, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah, the only reason I say that is I think in terms of easing him back to health and getting him back in game action. And also, I think there's not often a guy of the spark plug caliber of Clay where he can kind of come in and make an immediate impact on the game by doing very, I don't want to say doing very little because that kind of belittles his ability. But if you have a guy that can come in immediately and let's say drop 15 to 20 points in a matter of six or seven minutes while being out there at a spurt at his best. I mean, I think that coming off of the bench to kind of attack more of a 
let's say subpar second unit of some teams, because most, most teams of course, aren't that deep as to, they have a starting caliber lineup coming in behind their starters. So I think having a guy like clay as dynamic as he is, even at 60, 75%, which I ballparked it out, I think would be very beneficial to them off the benches, almost a second unit leader. Yeah. I like that. Do you want to get back to the, the tier list and just sort of round it out a little bit here? I'm yeah. looking at what we have right now. So, all right, I'm just going to name what we have right now and we can kind of just ballpark up and down. Yeah. So, in the favorites, we have Bucks, Nets, Warriors, Suns, and Lakers. Do we want to move the Lakers down, or do we still view them as a favorite? I wouldn't be opposed to moving them down. The only thing, the only hindrance that's kind of holding me from bringing them down is, as you said, do I really think that they are playing up to their full capability right now? No. Does that mean that other teams that are putting forth probably a bit more effort and evidently playing better than the Lakers don't deserve that spot more? I definitely think they do. But come playoff time, I don't think there are many teams that I would rather not face than the Lakers. So I think that does hold a lot of weight, even though we yeah. are just over a quarter through the year. I would be fine with sliding them down to the top of contenders and moving another team more into the favorite spot. Like we had talked about the possibly the Warriors, possibly the Suns, even both of them. Well, we have the, yeah, we have the Warriors and Suns in there now. Yeah, I think that's fair to have two of each conference in there. And then the Lakers would be the team that slides down for now. Okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. I've been... I've been disappointed with Anthony Davis this season. I think that's worth yeah. mentioning. Obviously, he just recently got hurt, but even before that, I just, I don't know, something's a little off with him. He seems very tentative this year. His defense hasn't been up to par, at least no. like what you would expect from him. And he can't shoot right now. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, he's, I was just been ice that. cold the whole season. It's hard when you have a player as dynamic as AD who's not really playing up to his potential on, I would argue really on any facet of his game. Cause even inside I'm looking at him, as you said, he's tentative. He's not, he's not really attacking the basket, like whether he's rebounding, whether he's actually playing in the post, it doesn't seem like he has any tenacity. Like it kind of just seems like he's out there a bit willy nilly. I don't know. It, as you said, it is a bit disappointing, especially for a fantasy owner of his and how high I took him. Um, like, don't get me wrong. He's still going to be your stat stuffer. He's probably going to give you 20 and 10 most nights. But I mean, when he's not, it's different when you have a guy like him who you're expecting to show up on both ends of the floor outside of the stat sheet. And it's kind of just appearing as if he's stat sheeting. It's just, it's so hard. And the Lakers are left almost, I want to say shorthanded because really aside from AD spreading the floor for LeBron and giving him a kick option and maybe some of their role-playing shooters off the bench, you know, Russ isn't doing it. So, I mean, it just, it takes such a part out of that offense that I think is so key to them, just being able to give the ball to AD in kind of terrible situations, the shot clock and letting him do work. And it's just, I don't know, as you said, it's been a bit disappointing. The AD that we, that we have appreciated over the last few years, really, I've not seen this year. I think barring, barring anything crazy happening, I do think that he will make a pretty solid return. Hopefully anyway, fingers crossed. It stinks because an injury like this at the time that it is and how crucial it is for the Lakers now to kind of solidify a push going into such a volatile situation like this COVID scenario that's playing out in the league right now. I just, how many really good full-ish years are we going to get of AD? Because almost the last time AD's played somewhat of a full season. I can't I can't name off the top uh, of the last season that he's played 60 games. The year they won the title? I think he was uh, yeah, actually, that year. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, he, injury problems is always a huge concern with AD. It's unfortunate because he's such a great talent. And I think he was on his way to potentially being like an all-time great power forward. And I, I just like, he's still probably going to finish his career as like a top 10 power forward of all time, if not already in that mix. But I don't know. I thought like AD had that potential to really challenge the guys like Garnett and Carl Malone and, and those kind of guys, Dirk Barkley. Like he was, he was not far off that bar, but he just can't seem to stay healthy. And that's really hurting his all-time legacy. But 
Anyways, moving on to our second like, tier <laughs> yeah. here. We only have three teams in our contenders now, which is the Lakers, Jazz, and Heat. Yeah, that's right, because we moved the Nuggets down and uh, the Suns and Warriors up. Yeah, um, I feel like we probably should move at least one team up. I would like to nominate the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I think yep. they're, they're the team that makes the most sense to move up. They've they've shown nothing but promise when healthy. We were talking about it before we started recording. Probably my favorite team to watch right now. Just unbelievably entertaining to watch. A great great floor spacing, especially with Vooch developing his three point game over the last few years. I mean, he's been he's been a huge part of that team. And honestly, I I really didn't think playing because a lot of Demar's game this year has been played at the four. I really didn't think that was going to work out as well as it did. But he's been playing really well. He's been playing yeah. really well at the four. I think the biggest concern for me with them coming into the season was their defense, especially with, you know, some liabilities like Levine and DeMar aren't that great defensively. Vucevic as your kind of anchor is obviously a concern, but I think I underestimated the impact of these new rule changes on like guard defense, like Lonzo and Caruso have been so good defensively because they're actually allowed to play defense aggressively now. Yeah. Whereas like before guard defenders, you couldn't, you couldn't really guard people aggressively or they just jump into you. And then it yeah, was or, or you get the hardened flick back of his neck. Yeah. And everyone was doing that, but now guards are actually allowed to play aggressively and up on their guys. And that's making a huge impact. And I think the bulls, their defense has been a lot better than it anticipated because of that rule change, especially because now Lonzo and Caruso in particular have been huge for them on that end. So yeah, I'm cool with moving them up to contender. I think they deserve it. Yeah, I think they do as well. Um, I'd also be okay with maybe make, letting a team like Memphis go as well. But again, that's a bit shaky for me, like you had mentioned earlier. I think at least a top two in our playoff seating, I think, is okay. Like not like playoff we, not playoff seating in terms of like uh, conference standings. In I our mean, playoff tier, our tier yeah, list yeah, for those listening. I think that, I think, I don't know. I like that we right now have two East and two West in both the favorite and contenders category. So that's kind of like, the top half of the playoffs basically are in those two categories. So yeah. I, I kind of, I'm cool with leaving. Like if the Grizzlies, if we feel the Grizzlies are the fifth best team in the West, I think it makes sense to keep them in the playoffs category. Yeah, I agree. I guess that means we should have four teams from each conference in our playoffs category now. So yeah. looking at who we had after all that discussion in the West, we've got Memphis, Denver, Dallas, Portland right now. Yeah. But I kind of feel like changing Portland, maybe. Portland for the Clippers. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Maybe even I, yeah. the Timberwolves over them at this point, to be honest. I, I'm kind of impressed with the Timberwolves. But, I mean, out of the two, I think Clippers makes more sense. Yeah, I'd um, I'd be okay with either. I think Clippers does make a bit more sense right now. I'd probably say Clippers. I also do maybe want to nominate another change that uh, we haven't really addressed yet. And I would like to swap the Knicks with the Hornets. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Because the Knicks have been, for me, probably one of the most underwhelming teams in the year, uh, in the league this year. I don't really know what's been going on. I mean, much like other teams, like they have had a few, a few core injuries. But yeah, I don't know. Just not playing like the team that we saw at the end of last season. And it's been a tad disappointing. Yeah. And looking at this now, we actually have to bump one team down because we already moved the Cavs up into playoffs. So for East, we got the Hawks, the Cavs, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Hornets. So to me, it probably comes between the Celtics and the Hornets. Yeah. Which team? I think both of these teams are probably going to end up in a play-in matchup. And I, I would assume one of these teams probably gets in. Like, I, I wouldn't count out the chance of the Wizards or the Knicks or the Raptors. Like, I think there's other teams that could end up knocking one of these teams out. 
But I think these two look like the front runners to me to probably secure that eight seed in the East. Who do you have more faith in between the Hornets and Celtics? That's hard. I, me personally, I mean, I might catch a bit of heat for this. I've never really been fully sold on the Celtics as a collective and being able to kind of have all their players buy in and succeed, not only off the weight of that, but also off the weight of how well the Hornets have been playing. Aside from, I think it was what, they're currently on a two or three game losing streak. Yeah. Yeah. Three game losing streak. They've had a bit of a cold streak lately. Three yeah, game be- losing streak, three and seven in the last ten. But yeah. the Celtics haven't been much better over that span, yeah, anyways. I think so. four and six or four and yeah, four, four and six five. in the last ten. So for me personally, I mean, I've been slowly following the development of that team, large in part to my partial Lamelo Ball bias. But Miles Bridges has also been extremely entertaining, and he's yeah. probably my front runner for most improved player this year. At least one of them, Tyrese Maxey's up there as well. To name another. I really like what the Hornets are doing, and I really like the team that they're building. But in terms of the strength of the roster, I would probably rock with the Celtics. Do I think that the Celtics make it past the first round if they were to go in the eight seed? No. I would think that the Hornets have a better shot. But in terms of a team to finish eight and be in this category that we're talking about now, I'd probably say the Celtics. Yeah, it's weird how bad the Celtics offense is. Like, they're 20th right now in offensive rating. Yeah. It's just, it's like these guys just don't, fit together that well it seems like to me like i don't know if the tatum brown combination is really working that well on offense they kind of function in the same sort of role there's not enough spacing around them i still feel like in a one game matchup like obviously it could go either way i like the fact that i think the celtics team just has a little bit more star power so i don't know i i kind of have a little bit more faith in this Celtics squad, but I'm not that high on the Celtics this year either. I don't think they have great depth. Like I said, I, don't, I just don't really feel like their roster meshes together all that well. But yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind picking the Hornets here either. Who, I'm like, who? This, is, this is probably one of the hardest we could do, like between the two teams. I personally, as you said, going off of the star power that they have and also the potential of that team, I'd probably say the Celtics. But I honestly, give it two or three weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if the Hornets made us kind of regret saying that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised either. But I I, I don't know. I, I like, as of right now, I think the Celtics should be our, our last team in the playoffs tier. The Hornets should be our top team in the playing contenders. Yeah, And I that agree. could definitely end up flipping at some point. But Exactly. I, I don't disagree with that at all. All right. So I think we should be fine then now, right? Because the Rockets, we already moved down to Butter like next year. I don't know if there's anyone else you feel like moving down, but I wouldn't count out anyone else in the West really just because of the fact that every team outside of like the top, you know, four in the West right now is kind of basically right around 500 or a little bit lower. So I think there's a lot of room for teams to move up and down. And that, as, mm-hmm. like, even though I'm not super high on the Spurs and the Pelicans have always had a bad start and, I don't know what the hell's going on with Zion right now, but no idea. I, I think there's still a theoretical scenario where the Pelicans can get in, especially they're on a three game winning streak. Now they're six and four in their last 10. So they can keep up on this momentum. They can definitely move up pretty quickly. Did we, did we move the wizards or do we still have them as plan? We have them as plan. Okay. I don't know. To me, I, I'd rather keep the Celtics as the playoff team, but I mean, you can disagree. If oh you no. Want. I was just talking about moving them possibly up in our play in tier. I didn't know where you where you would want to have, I guess, the hierarchy of Wizards, Hornets, and Raptors as our three for the East. To me, it's it's I'd probably go Hornets, then Wizards, then Raptors. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. The Wizards had a great start. I like the effort we're seeing from them. They're really buying in on the defensive end, but they kind of slowed down recently. Their defense, especially like 
randomly has kind of fallen off after a really great start. So I don't know. I, I think it could have been a little bit of they surprised teams at the start and then now they're just not kind of able to sustain that. Also, we, we, we didn't mention the Knicks, though. Are we do we want the Knicks above the Wizards? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think I think the Knicks should be above the Wizards. I haven't watched a ton of Knicks games, but I've watched a lot of them on highlights. I don't know. I don't know where the issue is with the team. It's not like they haven't played together before. They pretty much have the same core. I don't know what kind of immediate solution there is to that team. Like aside from maybe like a strategy change, because really they have, as I said, basically the same roster. They they're playing basically the same way. They're just not winning games. Kemba Walker has been a disappointment for sure. Yeah. I think in general, their shooting and spacing hasn't been up to snuff. Evan Fournay is another guy that's been a bit of a disappointment this year. And I don't know, last year, like Nerlens Noel was just an absolute beast for them in the paint defensively. And him and Robinson collectively, I expected like those two to be a huge for them this year. They haven't really impressed me as much as I would have liked them to. They haven't been able to maintain that elite defensive presence that they've had in the past. So I think those are all issues here with the Knicks. They just haven't been able to play up to the level that they showed they were capable of last year, but I wouldn't count out the possibility of them getting hot. They kind of did towards the end of the last season last year. So it's possible they can do it again. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a possibility that history could repeat itself here. Okay. You know, we'll do for the last, for the last little segment here for this. So we're looking at the new tier list. I assume you've been actively updating it. As you said, Mm -hmm. what is one team that you're looking at right now that you see that could be the biggest slide or the biggest jump? I think Portland is a team that could slide even more. Obviously, with everything going on with Dame right now, a trade there could definitely just completely derail their season if if they do end up trading him. They're I think they're 13 and 19 right now. Like they haven't played that well this season. Yeah, they are 13 and 19. They're a team that I could see sliding even more. In terms of a team that could be rising, maybe Minnesota. Minnesota has really impressed me this year, especially defensively. They've finally kind of figured out how to work around the limitations of towns and to a certain extent, Russell also like having those two guys as your kind of stars is not ideal on a defensive standpoint, but Jared Vanderbilt has been a stud for them on that end. I've really liked what they've used uh, Jaden McDaniels for YouTube channel. I, I follow pretty closely thinking basketball just posted a video on the Timberwolves defense and like the schemes they've been running and all that. And it kind of impressed me a lot how they've, managed to sort of overcome the limitations of some of their guys on that end to make their defense as a whole a lot better. And I think they're 10th right now in defensive rating, which is a definite huge improvement over the past few seasons. And with the kind of roster they have offensively with guys like Towns and Ant and D'Lo, this is a team that I think could uh, surprise some people and maybe make a rise in the second half of the season, especially they got a lot of younger guys that are kind of still working things out, but if they can improve in the second half of this season and just build off what they've done so far this year, I think they could be a sleeper. Yeah, I was that was actually going to be probably one of my picks, one of my two, but I'm going to go with the latter. And this one's honestly with zero hometown bias, but I'm going to say the Toronto Raptors. I think what's going on right now with the Raptors, unfortunately, they're kind of getting hit with the same Chicago Bulls bug. I mean, they're, they're down to eight active roster members and the rest are going to be reserve and call-ups. In saying that, I think their next eight games will be a good kind of testament as to where they're going to be moving in the standings. Within their next eight games, they play the Pelicans, the Spurs, the Knicks. And I don't know if you would argue the Clippers a weaker team, but on the flip side of that, they do have the Cavs, the 76ers, the Jazz, and the Bucks. 
if I were to ballpark it, I think a four and four is probably reasonable out of those eight games. But again, the Raptors have beaten a lot of good teams this year, surprisingly. I mean, they did beat the Nets, I think it was twice early on in the year. Or no, I th- sorry, I think it was the Bucks once and the Nets once. And aside from that, they haven't really beaten too many great caliber teams in succession. But I think the Raptors are starting to kind of, and it sucks that the timing of the Raptors players going on protocol because they were kind of starting to figure it out. And Gary Trent has been playing really well on both ends lately and uh, risen to the top of the league in steals per game. Now I think he's at 2.2. But I mean, the team was starting to figure it out. And I think that with their players hopefully coming back in the next coming weeks, I think that we could see that team making a little bit of a push. But how high do I think they'll go? Maybe seven, maybe six. Because I think the top five right now being the difference of three games between the Bucks and the 76ers is going to be hard to amount in the next two or three weeks. But I mean, look look for the Raptors when their players get back to possibly make a little bit of a push. Yeah, I don't think that's a crazy pick. Another team that I can see sliding is the Pacers, just mm-hmm. because they're basically set on rebuilding at this point. They're going to probably try to trade away a lot of their guys. So I can see them falling all the way down to our better luck next year kind of category. But right now, I think they still belong at sort of the bottom end of the be- uh, of the playing contenders. I think there's with the roster they have right now, there's still a chance they could get in there. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, real quick before we move on. Most likely to rise, Spurs or Pelicans? Pelicans. Yep, I agree. All right, I, I like that for a final hard-hitting uh, <laughs> part of that. So that was our little updated uh, tier list segment. We're going to swiftly move on. Did you want to talk about our tentative NBA awards? Just sure. what we kind of had right now, what our ideas were, what we were thinking. Why don't we just name our front runner and maybe a couple of honorable <clears throat> mentions in each category? Okay, so right now so we'll start from the top of course so my mvp as of right now we'll say for most teams it's 30 games in the year so just over a third of the way through my current mvp is stephen curry and my runner-up is kevin durant my rookie of the year scotty barnes my runner-up evan mobley my defensive player of the year Giannis antacumbo followed up by rudy gobert my sixth man of the year is tyler hero followed up by jalen brunson my coach of the year right now well i will say my tentative coach of the year when i made this list a week and a half ago was going to be wes unsell jr bit of a slide lately i'm going to replace that with steve kerr and my second is going to be billy donovan my most improved player is miles bridges and my runner-up i'll say as as well as Dewante murray's been playing i'm going to give tyrese maxey some credit i'll say tyrese maxey is my runner-up and that would be all of my, my all of my awards okay mvp i'm gonna go with Jokic as my number one and i'm gonna have durant number two actually for most improved player, I think Bridges is definitely number one. <sighs> Shit, number two. I don't. There's a lot of good options. Uh, I I want to throw out Desmond Bain. I think Desmond Bain nice. deserves a lot of credit. He's an underrated one. Defensive player of the year for me is Draymond one, and probably Rudy Gobert two. Sixth man of the year, definitely Tyler Hero is my number one. I want to say Caruso, but I think Ricky Rubio is kind of getting slept on as a potential candidate. He's been huge for the Cavs, so I'm going to say Ricky Rubio is my honorable mention there. And then rookie of the year, I want to have Mobley one, Barnes two, but I think Cade Cunningham is is probably going to make a really strong push. He's been playing a lot better lately, so I, th- I think he's going to end up passing them, but for now, he's not not in there. And then coach of the year, man, there's a lot of good candidates. Yeah, we were talking about that before we started. It was hard to pick. I mean, I kind of want to give credit to Kerr and Monty Williams for having their teams with the best records, but I want to go with J.B. Bickerstaff and Billy Donovan for their role in helping the Bulls and Cavs to the two and three seats in the in the East right now. Yeah, I think the only, because I have Jokic's three on my MVP ladder, and I think right now, I think there's definitely an argument in my mind to slide KD up and even Curry out of my top three. But for me right now, I don't think we've seen a player in the NBA 
single-handedly do as much as Curry does game to game as he has been doing this season, especially with the I lack think of Jokic. <laughs> well, again, Jokic, Jokic is another guy. That's why I'm saying I could just definitely justify him like kind of climbing up on mine. I don't, I don't think I've seen this kind of play from Curry. I mean, aside from, of course, his MVP seasons, but he's he's been playing lights out. And I mean, the teams needed him, and that's mostly the reason that he that they are where they are. Yeah, I, I don't really know what, what there is left to be said. He's been playing at an unreal clip this year. Of course, doesn't rival Durant with his almost 30 points a game, but I mean, 27.1, still shooting lights out from three. He's got almost, almost two more three-pointers made than second in the league. I mean, that's no surprise. I don't know. And even looking at Durant too, I mean, Durant has had such a great year already just on the offensive side of the ball. He's looked so sound this year and there aren't many guys you could really have above those two guys aside from Jokic and Jokic. Jokic is a guy who, as you said, really does it all. Like he's averaging 13 and a half boards along with putting up unbelievable offensive stats and still ranking. I think what sec, I think first or second among big men and assists. I think he's still first right now. I think would be. But anyway, uh, I'll let you move on to your uh, MVP justification. We'll move on. When it comes to Jokic, I just think the Nuggets kind of suck without him. <laughs> like, well, legitimately, they're the worst team in the league when Jokic is not on the court. And it's not even that close. They're As of December 12th, I, I'm trying to find a more updated one, but whatever. As of December 12th, they're negative 15.7 per 100 possessions when Jokic is not playing. That is, like, atrociously terrible. Yeah. And they're plus 13.4 when Jokic is on the court per 100 possessions. So that's that's almost a 30-point swing in net rating differential, which is unheard of, like, unfathomable. He's, like, top of the league in nearly every advanced stat. And as you mentioned, he's dropping a lot of points, rebounds, and assists, like, everything you want. His defense has improved a lot this year. The Nuggets are just so much better when Jokic is on the court. And when it comes to most valuable player, I mean, that that's – and in essence, that is what the most valuable player award is supposed to be. Like nobody provides more value to their team than Jokic, I think. And the fact that they are a five seed in the West with their second and third best players injured right now, that's just a testament to how good Jokic has been. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was a, that was a Nobel Peace Prize speech right there. <laughs> just to confirm what I was saying earlier, he actually is first in big men assists, just edging out Draymond by literally 0.1 assist. So barely scraping by Draymond, but again, got to give credit where it's due. I mean, Jokic is having an unreal year. And also, I don't think there has been a big man that really does. I And I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn here. I don't really think I've seen a big man that does as much and contributes as much as he does on both ends of the floor. Because I haven't really seen a, almost a floor general type big like him ever in the NBA. Because with them out, really, the offense is running fully through him. I think he's leading, he's leading centers in primary touches. And I think it's... There's some weird stat that I've been seeing recently. It's like time with ball per possession. And I think he's, I think he's like top three in the league right now, which doesn't yeah. surprise me. You put the ball in your, in your best player's hands most of the time, but the I whole mean, offense runs through him. Yeah. It's you want to hear a, a crazy take. I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not, but I'm just going to flat out say Jokic is the best offensive center in the history of the NBA. Now offensive, you mean complete, like, because we haven't complete offensive impact. Because I, I don't think you can't really. There hasn't been a center, at least coming to my mind immediately, that can stretch the floor like him. There, we also don't see a big man who moves the ball like he does. Yeah, I mean, like I, Kareem and Shaq have an edge in scoring, but it's yeah. not that significant. Like Jokic is an elite scorer, super efficient, and who, what he who provides. Could even, a, who could you even hold a flame to him in, in his playmaking ability, though? Anyone? Not, not really anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like he's so far ahead of everyone else as a passer. And even payment. even rebounding, his averages are up there with the best. Like even, yeah, even just rebounder. this season, anecdotally, 13 and a half already. 
Yeah, Jokic is a beast. Like he's he kind of getting slept on. He might be, he might be the best player in the league right now. Like legitimately, I had him number five on my list coming into the season. But to me, he's definitely eclipsed LeBron at this point. And I think, the, I think he's in the top four. It's between him, Curry, Durant, and Giannis. And Giannis is the other guy we didn't really mention at all in the MVP race. But to me, he's number four right now. Yeah. And mostly just holding him back is the fact that he's missed a good chunk of games in the Bucks. Obviously, the record's not as good as you would hope for based on the fact that they've had so many injuries and whatnot. But, I mean, Giannis is number four on my list for sure. And it sucks that a guy like Giannis is overshadowed by two or three other guys, especially with another great year like he's been putting up. I guess we'll move on. I'll move on to Defensive Player of the Year. Originally, I as I said, I made this list about a week and a half, two weeks ago. I actually had Miles Turner as my two. Because I feel like most of the times when choosing and awarding a guy for Defensive Player of the Year, oftentimes, I don't want to say it's very statistically dominated, because you see a guy like Rudy Gobert even go past his stats and you see how much impact he really has. But I don't think enough is really said, especially of the last few years, as Miles Turner. There aren't many guys who have that kind of interior presence, let alone filling the stat sheet with blocks. But I mean, again, it's hard to really shake a stick at a guy like Gobert because he really him and him and Giannis are the two most defensive impactful players in the league, in my in my opinion. Draymond. It will Andre and Draymond. I, I'm definitely going to put Draymond there. And it's hard because I want to give him his credit, but it's so hard to give him his credit when, as you said, there are th- at least two, and if not three other guys who are just as deserving of the award. I, to be honest, I didn't really originally have Draymond in my top two. Him and him and uh, Miles Turner right now are sharing my third spot because I couldn't decide who to put there. What's your justification for Draymond right now over Giannis and Gobert for the people? He's been the most impactful defensive player in the league this year, in my opinion, just for what he does to the Warriors' defense. Their entire defensive structure revolves around Draymond's versatility and his ability to protect the rim, and their defense is the best in the league right now, and it's largely due to Draymond. And that's, that's to me, I think Draymond has more impact on that end than anyone aside from maybe Gobert. Like, those two, to me, have more impact on the defensive end than anyone in the league. I mean, it's no secret Draymond's been a huge anchor of that Warriors dynasty for as long as I can remember, at least through watching them. But especially with the landscape of the league now, there are many players who have played as consistent defensively as Draymond has been. The only knock I would really have on him compared to other guys is he doesn't really... And again, as much as like some categories for awards are very statistically driven, I would argue that other players kind of do more to put forth kind of more presentable campaigns, if that makes sense. Because it's like Draymond's not the kind of guy to be flashy. He doesn't he doesn't put up those huge block highlights that you see posted all over ESPN. He doesn't really he doesn't really pop out at you in terms of I don't know flashiness, I guess if if that makes any sense. But defense isn't really supposed to be flashy, and he's probably the best conductor of defense in the league. As you had said, he really is kind of a defensive leader. He really rallies everyone around him and his ability to guard really one through five fairly seamlessly. So, I mean, I'll definitely be kind of tuning a bit more into Draymond's play because really I haven't been I haven't been as high on him this season as you have, but I can definitely understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors right now, not only are they the best defense in the league, but they're having one of the best defensive seasons of all time. Again, going back to the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, I talked about it. He, he recently did a video on the Warriors defense, which I, I highly recommend checking out. It's really insightful into how their defense plays and why it's so effective. And that largely is due to Draymond. So that, to me, is why I would personally have him at number one. But I think Gobert has a strong case. Gary Payton second is another guy I would actually have in that mix. I think if I were to give it to a guard, like this season, as I kind of talked about with the Bulls and Caruso and Monzo, this season has probably been the most impact guards have had on the defensive end in a while because they're actually – 
finally allowed to play some defense physically and actually in your face. And I think Gary Payton more than anyone has been absolutely fantastic on the defensive end. So he would probably be my number three actually, but Draymond is still my number one. Yeah. What uh, I'll let you take the reins for the next one, pick whatever award you want and talk away. Well, we can kind of speed through some of these next ones, but why don't we go to the most improved player? Yeah, most most improved player. I mean, you and I kind of both mutually agreed it should be uh, Miles Bridges. From a guy who we saw last year basically just get his name shouted by the Hornets announcer for the entire year for nasty dunk highlights, <laughs> he's really like starting to round out his game and starting to blossom. All credit to him for the development that he's made. The biggest development that I've seen is kind of his decisiveness. He's been a guy, especially the Hornets in general, they're a very good transition team. And even when Bridges happens to be the guy handling the ball down the floor, not necessarily getting lobbed to, his decision making has been really good. And even past that, his offensive versatility has gotten a lot better. He's gotten a lot better in the post this year. I've noticed a lot a lot of good post movement. He's also attacking rebounds a lot more, which I think is more of a mindset thing, let alone ability, because I, he already has the ability. We already know that. But I've been, I've been extremely impressed with not only him, but the Hornets as a whole. That's just, they've built such a great core there already. And I really don't see Bridges' development slowing down. And really, there are a few guys that we had mentioned that we could maybe have slotting in behind him. But there, are, there isn't really anyone that jumps out at me right now that can really hold him as the, uh, as the most improved player right now. Yeah. I think some of the other names that come to mind for me are John Morant, DeJunte Murray, Desmond Bain, Tyrese Maxey. Lugans Dort has had a really solid season for OKC. I could even uh, say Tyler Darius Hero Garland. Well. Yeah, Darius yeah, Tyler too. Hero. LaMelo, possibly. Jordan Poole, he was one of my favorites coming into the season. He's been fantastic. Don't want to sleep on him too what much. A, he's what about an older, great. what about a fairly older guy? Like he's not that much older, but what about Caruso? Yeah, I mean, Caruso is a good one. I think Caruso has been huge this season, especially because of the rule changes. I think that makes a big difference. Jared Allen's another one that I would, I would like to mention. Like he's been fantastic. I think he has a legitimate case to be an all-star this season. Yeah. I, I wouldn't put it past him, honestly. Jared Allen's another one, like another one of those like rim protector guys who doesn't really get talked about enough of tied overshadowed by other guys, but the amount of like, you want to talk about guy, a guy who really has nasty highlights. I mean, there aren't many better block highlight reels that you could look out of guys who are playing right now that you would really hold above Jared Allen. Like he has, the fro has sunned a lot of people in the NBA in the last few seasons. I, I, I just, I love him as a player. He's, he's so awesome to watch. He's just one of those grinders that you always want to have on your roster, much like a guy like Draymond Green, a bit scaled up, of course, but he's bigger, but he, he provides not necessarily defensive versatility, but defensive leadership in the form of having that anchor, which not many teams really can say. I would argue Jared Allen's one of the better anchors in the league. In saying that, will he get a nod most of the time over a guy like Gobert, or even a guy like Giannis? Probably not, but he definitely deserves his credit where it's due. Definitely. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Sixth man of the year, you want to move on to that? Yeah, we could do that. Mine was Tyler Hero, as you had also mentioned. Again, kind of speaks for itself. He's been a guy that kind of has faced a lot of criticism since his rise in the league. A lot of guys argued he was a bit overrated coming into the league. A lot of people were kind of boosting him a bit too early, but I think he's kind of put a lot of that skepticism to rest this year. He's been, I would argue, not necessarily one of the only bright spots of the Heat, but for a team who I expected a little bit more of, I think he's kind of been a shining star on that team, especially kind of taking a bit of the weight of uh, a guy who's been a bit underperforming, Duncan Robinson. Unfortunately, I really expected a lot more from him this year. But again, it's still very early. Like most teams are about 27 to 30 games in. So there's still a lot of year left. In saying that, Tyler Hero has done a great job of kind of alleviating some pressure from other guys who have been not necessarily underperforming, but not playing up to their standard. 
but other guys who we had kind of mentioned a little bit, like I have Patty Mills on mine as well. Even Carmelo Anthony, mm-hmm. I think, deserves a little bit of a nod as well. He's been yeah, I agree. off the bench for them. Jalen Brunson's a guy that we've been talking about since last season who's been really impressive. And again, I think he deserves to definitely be somewhere on that top five, six-man ladder. But for me, Tyler Hero takes a cake. If I had to pick a runner-up, probably between Brunson and Mills. And then I think Melo's just on the cusp. But again, don't overlook the impact of Melo. I mean, he's been playing really well this year. Ricky Rubio isn't the guy I, I mentioned. I think he's been really huge for the Cavs. He's someone that I think in general is just very underrated. But he's been he's been awesome this season. He's averaging around 13 points, almost seven assists, four rebounds, steal and a half. He's been really good for them. Uh, his shooting touch hasn't been fantastic, like as is usually the case with Rubio, but... He's just provided a really good boost to their bench, I thought, this season. Did you mention Montrez Harrell at all? Uh, no, I didn't. That's actually a good pick as well. Yeah, he's been great for the Wizards. Defensively, he's always had his issues, which is why I'm not super high on him in, like, in general. But like he, he has a good impact on the team offensively, and I think he deserves some mention for that. Kelly Oubre is another good one. He's averaging over 16 points per game right now off the bench, so that's obviously going to put him in the conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, is there anyone else you want to mention, or did you want to move on to uh, Rookie of the Year? Uh, we can move on to Rookie of the Year. Consensus right now, did you have Mobley over Burns? I forget when we talked yeah, about Yeah, I do. Yeah, so again, Mobley, Mobley is another guy that I could definitely see, um, see why. There's also, I'm looking at it now, there's another player who's kind of, he, he doesn't really jump out at you, but uh, Alperin Sengun on Houston mm. has the highest player efficiency rating of all rookies on, I love in this class. So- I'm looking at the the younger players that Houston has. They have a lot of potential on that roster. Like they have Sengun, Kenyon Martin Jr., Deshaun Tate, and let alone Jalen Green and Josh Christopher. That's a great young core on that team. A great yeah. young core. Kevin Porter Jr. and Christopher yeah, Wood are still pretty well. young too. I know Scotty was at most most of people's top of their ladders. I think it was through the first month and a half, and Mobley's made a great push lately, large in part to the Cavs' 8-2 and two run. I would just as much justify Mobley as I would with Barnes. The only reason that I would say Barnes for now is really he's become, I mean, they've really become equally as, as much focal points of their respective franchises, I would argue. But I think Scotty, Scotty's just a tad right now. I think he's a tad more pro ready than Mobley. Mobley's impact right now on the defensive end of the ball has been great. Scoring inside eight to 12 has been awesome. I'm just waiting for that last. And it's very early in his career. I'm just waiting for that last little flash that kind of tells me, yeah, he should, he should definitely be the rookie. Of the year. If he starts stepping out and taking jumpers, or even starts being a bit more confident on the pick and roll, kind of like popping out instead of always rolling. I think that could be that could benefit him a bit more. But in terms of statistics, he has every justification to be above Barnes or below Barnes. I think Barnes has the offensive edge on Mobley, but to me, Mobley is like a legitimate top ten defensive play of the year candidate right now. Like he's just been that good on defense. I think playing him at power forward has really unlocked a lot and has held back some of his weaknesses. Like you were worried about his strength a little bit, but because they're playing three seven footers in their starting lineup, it doesn't really matter so much because they have Allen kind of backing him up and taking on the stronger matchups. And they also have Marcano out there as well. So it's been completely dumbfounding teams because of the fact that he's so versatile and so quick that he can actually guard a lot of opposing guards and wings. And it's completely taking teams like off guard right now. Well, and it it makes it so the Cavs are a very interesting team to me. One of the main reasons, well, and you and I like we were kind of no we were no amateurs when kind of assessing our tier list because you and I were both like, don't be surprised if the Cavs make a little bit of a push. And it has taken a little bit, but they are on the Satan two run. The thing that surprises me though, they're not only doing this without Colin Sexton, because I think he does provide a lot to that team. I think when he comes back, I think that only makes them better. But also, as you said, they're doing it with a very unorthodox lineup that 
I would assume most of the times because really the teams don't really have an opportunity game plan for them. Like as much as you can attempt to maneuver around what they're doing, as you mentioned, this three, seven footers that they have starting, it almost saturates the paint in a way because you almost have to forget about one of them. Because if you're running your conventional two big men, you almost have to leave one available. It's not like they're all crashing all the time, but it makes it a lot to deal with. But again, Moby's been extremely impactful on the defensive end. I just think Scotty is a bit a bit more of a two-way player right now than Mobley, and that's the only reason why I'd give him the edge. Statistically, they're very equal in their respective positions, but I think they're very they're very much a flip-flop winner right now. I think there's justification for both sides. But as as you mentioned earlier too, don't be surprised if Cade Cunningham makes that kind of push because really, yeah. what, what reason do they have not to give him like 30, 35 touches a game? I mean, Cade's been playing great recently. He's now up to 16 points, six rebounds, and five assists on the season. So I think it's only a matter of time before he eclipses them, really. His shooting numbers are still not perfect because he kind of had a cold stretch to start the season. But like right now, he's been playing amazing lately. So I think he's he's probably going to pass. I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't totally count out the possibility of Barnes or Mobley winning this because they've both been great. But I think Cunningham, to me, is probably the front runner moving forward. I also want to mention Josh Giddy and Franz Wagner, Chris Duarte. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, we'll move on to our final position here. Well, yeah, okay, we have covered everything else. Yeah, so we'll move on to uh, Coach of the Year and kind of unpack that a little bit. I'll kind of let you take the reins with this one because you're talking about there are multiple candidates you can go aside for maybe a top two or top three. So I'll let you kind of unpack that first, and then I'll talk about mine. Yeah, I think obviously when it comes to Coach of the Year, the guys that are leading their teams to the best record tend to be the favorites. So obviously Steve Nash for the Nets is going to be in the conversation. Monty Williams for the Suns, Steve Kerr for the Warriors, Quinn Snyder for the Jazz. I think those four are locked in, going to be in the conversation at the very least. I think some of the other names that stand out to me are maybe Ty Lue for the Clippers because of the fact that Kawhi has been injured all season and they've still been pretty good. They're a little bit above 500 right now. I think Taylor Jenkins for the Grizzlies has to be in the conversation as well. Maybe Mike Malone for the Nuggets, another team that's been struggling with injuries but have still played pretty well. Two of the ones that I mentioned, of course, were Billy Donovan for the Bulls. They're 19 and 10 right now. I don't think anyone expected them to be as good as they have been. And they've obviously dealt with a lot of injuries in COVID as well. So really impressed by them. The Cavs are 19 and 12. So JB Bickerstaff is definitely going to get some consideration for that, especially with him playing these very unconventional lineups that have been working really well. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for trying these out-of-the-box scenarios where you're starting three seven-footers. And it's actually working. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then Mike Budenholzer, I think, will be in the conversation as well if the Bucks start winning a lot more. And Eric Spolstra for the Heat is another one that I think is in the conversation too. So really, there's probably about nine or ten guys that I think could end up being the front runner. We really need to see how the season progresses because I think really your team record is going to make a huge impact on these votes when it comes to Coach of the Year. So it's kind of too early to tell for sure, but I think those are a lot of the names that are going to be in the myth. Yeah. So basically just to summarize you, so a 10th or, or one third of the league is really in the, in the running for this. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. As you said, the team record, I would argue, unfortunately, because a lot of the times the lack sometimes of individual talent on a roster can kind of diminish your resume for that award, unfortunately. But as you said, the record of a team has a lot of weight on that award in, in terms of uh, the executives and uh, those who are vote, hold, vote holders have the impact in that. And saying that, I wouldn't be surprised if really any of those guys that you just mentioned either made a push or just won outright, like the respective four who are leading their conferences or leading or like atop their conferences, so to speak. I wouldn't be surprised if they're currently at the top of the hill. If I had to place a vote right now, 
not necessarily a sleeper pick, but a pick that I think is fairly safe and really could come out in fruition in the Western Conference. I think Quinn Snyder is a fairly safe pick. If I were to bet a little bit of money right now, I would probably... It's so hard not to say Steve Kerr. It really is. It's so hard not to say him. But I think to to make it a little more interesting, I'd probably say Quinn is my... Quinn is my, not necessarily a lock, but if I was a betting man, I'd probably bet on Quinn. And then following that up, I'd say Billy Donovan also has a great shot, like you had mentioned. Those would probably be my two, aside from those uh, more prototypical to be leading or end up winning their conferences respectively. Of course, the Steve Kerrs of the world, even Steve Nash deserves somewhat of uh, somewhat of credit, regardless of how much superpower, superstar talent he has. Yeah, uh, but I mean, Kyrie's been out the whole season, so yeah, deserves it, credit for that. Yeah, exactly. Um and I mean, also like kind of unlocked Blake Griffin a little bit. Has been playing a lot better than he did in flashes last year. So I, yeah. I've, been, I've been liking to see that. I've liked Griffin's defense this year, which is kind of funny because prime Griffin was pretty bad on defense. But for some reason, like now that he's past his prime, he's, he's engaged a lot more on defensive end, which is kind of funny. But ironic because they probably would have won a title or two if he actually played some defense in the playoffs, but whatever. <laughs> I, I cannot argue with that at all because that is scarily true. Um, the only thing I'll say, and I mean, this is not to generalize NBA athletes, let alone basketball athletes out there. I think defense is genuinely an effort thing. I think that you could develop as much defensive ability and lateral quickness and vertical ability and chase down ability as you possibly can. The real intangible skill of defense in my mind is effort. And we've seen a lot of guys who have been lackluster on the defensive end strictly because they just don't put in the effort or aren't as dialed in as they are on the offensive mm-hmm. end. I think defense comes down to three things, really. It's effort, IQ slash awareness, and just physical attributes being, you know, your wingspan, your height, yeah. your ability to leap through the building. That kind of stuff obviously does factor in as well. But the kind of players that have all three of those things are usually the ones that are going to be your defensive player of the year kind of candidates. Bear. Giannis, Draymond. Draymond. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. And it's like, again, I don't want to, I don't want to shit on those who are not necessarily more potent on the defensive end, but a lot of the times, as you said, it's kind of the culmination of a lot of different things as you had just said, but I think at its peak, I think it really is just effort. And there are some guys who, and I mean, again, a lot of it, like I'm not expecting Trey Young to come out and be a defensive player of the year. His physical mm-hmm. stature does not dictate him to be able to be a defensive of the year candidate, but I think he does have the ability, much like a lot of other guys, to kind of be better than they are, strictly off of effort. Yeah, I think Alex Crusoe is a pretty good example. And yeah. obviously, you know, Crusoe does, he has a pretty good wingspan. He's 6'3", which is good for a guard. And he does, like, have kind of deceptive quickness and leaping ability. So he does have those physical attributes as well. But for him, it's mostly just effort and IQ. Those are the That's what makes him one of the best defensive guards in the league right now. Exactly. I don't think I've seen a guy go after as many loose balls as Caruso. And let alone that, I think a lot, another little underrated um, defensive trait, so to speak, is kind of, um, it's it's weird to generalize it as ball skill on defense, but the ability to kind of just be a menace in terms of generating steals, generated pickup, like mm-hmm. um, forced pickups, um, unintentional overthrow and turnovers, things, things of that nature. Deflections so, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, just having the timing to kind of, just it's almost like a sixth sense like some of those guys just have it like caruso is definitely one of those guys that he just yeah. knows when to time it with jumping his, uh, passing with steel attempts yeah. yeah hand in certain like areas of the floor when they're dribbling and it's just uh it's just i think i think the defensive end of basketball i would argue is probably the most underrated defensive aspect of many sports i think another one would be hockey as well but i think the defensive impact of two or three players on your roster could really be the make or break of a playoff push 
for those who are happy yeah. contenders. Um, and I mean, if you have a piece like, like any of the guys who we had mentioned, like if you have a piece like Draymond, if you have a piece like Gobert or Giannis, you individually at, or you as a whole, as a team off of that one individual player become immensely better. And it's one of those yeah. things that's infectious too. Like you see the great defensive teams of the past, you see guys just come in and set a new mantra for the team. And it's like, if you, if you have one guy that's willing to buy in on the defensive side of the floor harder than everyone else, that kind of effort and that kind of like, that kind of prowess on defense going to be infectious. At least you would hope in your building. Yeah. I mean, Crusoe's averaging eight points per game and he's probably one of the bulls, three most impactful players. Like aside from Levine and DeRozan, I think Caruso is their third most impactful player. Other than, I mean, I don't want to count out Lonzo either because he's been really good on defense and offense, but Caruso, man, when he comes into the game, the bulls just play so much better. Like Caruso just, he drives, he, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, man. The effort that he, that he it's the gives, headband. it <laughs> it honestly just fuels the rest of the team too. I think. No, it they just build does. off his off effort. Well, and it's not even. I don't even want to chalk it up to like one individual play. But you saw, you saw how. Well, not even you saw. You see how electric the building gets when a player takes a charge, right? And you see the impact of not only that one action, but also how how that impacts other players. Like Kyle Lowry generated the most charges over three seasons when he was with the Raptors. I think it was. Um, just before their uh, finals push, before Kawhi got there. And mm-hmm. then you see Fred Van Vliet, I think it was last season, midway through the year, was like top three in charges taken. And I don't think that's anything to do with coincidence. I think that's learning from a guy who was a great at doing that one in particular thing and taking that and applying it to your own game. And it's and again, it's an effort thing. It's, it's getting in the lane. It's positioning yourself well. And it's, I don't know. I just think the defensive aspect of basketball, I think is so much more of an impact than some people understand. And having those core guys on your team who not only have the ability, but make others on the team want to try harder and get better on the defensive end, I think is something very underrated. I agree. Yeah. I think it's underrated in general. People don't give enough respect to the defensive end and the effort that a lot of people put on that end and how impactful it actually is. Like I mentioned, Cruz is averaging eight points per game. And, you know, a lot of fans will be like, oh, Cruz, he's just a role player. He's not that good. But his value to the Bulls is huge. Like, it really is. Matisse Thibel is another good example for the Sixers. Like, there's a lot of those guys that just, they come in and just play so well on the defensive end. Uh, Gary Payton, Gary Payton. Davian Davian Mitchell, too. Davian Mitchell definitely deserves some credit. Yes. He is an elite on ball defender. One of the best that I've seen in a while. He's tenacious. Yeah, I love Davion Mitchell. He's awesome. Um, Danny Abdia is another one. That, yeah, Danny Abdia is awesome too. He's been great for the Wizards this year. Uh, but anyways, I like I like giving those shoutouts to some of the guys that just do a lot of good work on the defensive end. As do I. I cannot argue with that at all. I do really quick. I we were talking about it before we got on. I had mentioned Rudy Gobert is quietly putting up an MVP season right now. The average doesn't jump off the charts. I think he's almost 14 points a game with a complimentary 14 or 15 rebounds, but a shooting percentage of 73 percent. Right now, MVP ladder, where do you have Rudy Gobert? Um, well, like I said, there's a pretty clear-cut top four for me, yeah. which is in any particular order, Steph, KD, Jokic, Giannis, those four guys. After that, I, I don't really have a clear number five. I think Gobert is in the conversation 100%. I think this is the best season we've seen for him offensively. He's averaging 15.5 points per game, leading the league in rebounds with 15 and you know, as you mentioned, he's also leading the league in field goal percentage, shooting 72% from the field. Oh, so he and on top that. of that, he's arguably the best defender in the league. So I think he's in the conversation potentially for that number five spot even. 
DeMar and Levine for the Bulls, both of them are in the conversation. I think Chris Paul for the Suns has been great. He's another guy that I, w- I would put in there. Jimmy Butler, maybe. Like, I, I don't know who my number five is, to be honest with you. So maybe it is Gobert. Yeah, I think um, I think much like you're thinking, I'd have him somewhere between five and seven. I would probably lean a bit more prior to the Bulls situation. I'd probably have DeRozan as my five because of how strong he started the year, especially with that early Bulls run. I was extremely impressed. Even aside from team record, and I know team record, much like Coach Thier, is, is very indicative of the MVP award winner, but I think Trey Young also deserves some credit. Mm-hmm. Um in the in years past, I would honestly be the last guy to give Trey Young credit because I really wasn't a huge fan of him, but he's kind of proved me very wrong in the last few years. But second in the league in scoring with 27.3 a game, shooting extremely well from three as he usually does. Do I think he deserves more credit than those in the top four that we've already kind of solidified and deserves a slide up? Not necessarily. I think right now I'd probably have outside of my outside of that core four we kind of mentioned, I'd probably have something like DeMar, Gobert, Trey, and then Chris Paul. And then again, like you said, Levine and DeRozan could go hand in hand, depending on how you look at it. So I think Levine would be somewhere in there, but that would probably round out my 10. I think Paul George is also probably in that mix. I kind of forgot about him. Yeah. Honestly, even Draymond, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind having him somewhere in the top 15. I think he's, his impact on the defensive end is, is so valuable, but I don't know. I think, I think it's pretty much a four man race at this point, to be honest with you. I'd be very surprised if anyone aside from Durant, Curry, Jokic, or uh, Giannis wins it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that's kind of a solidified four. I will say, I think one guy that we could see make a, make a jump, uh, possibly a huge jump up the ladder if, if his team starts to play a bit better is Jason Tatum. He hasn't been playing as well this year, kind of. He's been, I think he's down mostly in terms of percentages, down in mostly every statistical category. Um, he's shooting just over 42% from the field, 32 from three, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. And a free throw percentage of only 81.7%, which for career-wise, I think he's that's about four or 5% down from his career, if I'm not wrong. So hasn't been the greatest statistical season, but for a guy who I don't want to say has been carrying Boston, but Boston has been fairly dysfunctional this year. I think if they can kind of figure it out in the next few weeks, I think we could see Tatum possibly make a rise in the top seven, top eight. Because right now I think ESPN has him as eight. So I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually eclipses, I don't know. I think in the ranking that I just had, even then, the guys like DeMar and Gobert, I feel like have done a lot more right now. Maybe eclipse Trey Young, Chris Paul, maybe seven. But I think right now that could be the highest he gets in the next few weeks. But I look for Tatum. I think Tatum's a guy that can make a jump if they're, if he starts to figure it out. I think LeBron's another one, maybe. Especially with Anthony Davis expected to miss the next four weeks. I think if, if LeBron can just kind of take over during that stretch, and help the Lakers back into the top of the Western Conference standings. I think he's someone that could also make a push. Yeah, hundred percent. I almost forgot about LeBron actually, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy to say. Almost forgetting about LeBron, but I do also really quick. I do want to provide a bit of context or context. Tatum is right now. I think amidst the league leaders, if not leading the league in field goals attempted at twenty one point six a game. So I mean that is somewhat indicative of his percentages, but at the same time they are kind of low. Well, for his career stature anyway, they're not particularly low in general. But forty-two percent from the field for a guy like Tatum isn't spectacular. But yeah, again, look for look for a rise if they start to figure it out. But again, it's no guarantee. The league the league dynamic and the league outlook shifts week to week, if not day to day. So we could we could see something crazy happen in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yeah, I think we have. anything else you want to get into? I mean, not particularly. Nothing that kind of jumps out of the water for me. We will. Um, I guess we'll give a little. Uh, we'll give a little precursor to the viewers here. 
We're going to be recording a few more episodes in the coming days. A bunch of different random stuff. We're going to discuss the possibility of maybe an all-time uh, fantasy draft with a few members of OTL plus some uh, special guests. And aside from that, we're going to come out with some more fun videos, kind of non-season related because basketball along with some other leagues are going to be taking somewhat of a break or at least some mitigation over the next few days for the uh, Christmas holidays. I know the NHL is what postponed from the 23rd to the 26th or something like that. Yeah. Something like that next um, week, basically. Yeah. So we're going to come out with some more fun, lighthearted basketball content for you guys. And then right when, uh, right when we get back in the swing of things in the new year, we're going to be coming at you with some more hard hitting basketball content uh, like this podcast episode, which we are happy to record. It was a long overdue. Nolan and I, unfortunately, we're very busy this semester, but we're going to kind of get back in our bag with this podcast in the next few weeks so we can provide you guys some more content than what we've given you in the past. So if you guys have any ideas and hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, either the OTL account or even our, our individual accounts, you can find them through OTL. And yeah, aside from that, is there anything that you maybe want to mention keep staying tuned to our podcast we love the sport and keep reading all the articles on otl we've got a lot of basketball articles coming up some about the uh clay thompson return coming soon just had one about isaiah thomas's return to the nba and a whole bunch of stuff coming up some christmas day like the history of christmas day basketball games also coming up soon so a lot of a lot of basketball articles especially so Make sure you check those out. Yeah, exactly. A lot of great content going up on the site every day. Even if you're not specifically interested in basketball, we have definitely something for you. So be sure to check out the site. Just a quick plug to uh, actually the founder of basketball. Uh, 130 years ago yesterday, James Naismith actually founded the game of basketball in a YMCA. So shout out James Naismith for inventing the game that we all love and enjoy today. And we get to spectate and criticize every single day of the game. <laughs> So thank you very much, James Naismith, and thank you to those high caliber and high talented NBA athletes who we get to, as I said, enjoy watching and critique every single day. And with that, I guess that's pretty much wrapped up the second episode of the Overline Sports Podcast, the OTL Layup Line. We're happy as always to have you guys join us. Be sure to check us out wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you find them. Uh, be sure to interact with us on our uh, Instagram, whether that be public posts or just any article updates. Give us a read. Give us a listen whenever you want. Hey. We, we, love, we love to have you as always. Any any new viewers, any new listeners are always appreciated for those of you who are just tuning in and this is your first episode listening. Happy to have you, much like our, all of our longtime viewers as well. Viewers and listeners, well, mostly listeners, only listeners, really. <laughs> um, anyway, with that, that has been the second episode. Happy as always to bring this to you guys and have a good day, guys.